Hey there, welcome to the More Civil Podcast. My name is Mo. I created this podcast as a resource for Blacks, Asians, and those who love them to share stories and processes and build community around important issues. On this show, you get to hear amazing stories from people like you who show us how to get more out of life. The stories featured on this platform are by people whose journey I'm inspired by, and most importantly, people who have been courageous and vulnerable to be open about their life stories. And I hope that in turn, you'll find these stories inspiring. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. This is Mosible. Today I'm going to be talking to a wonderful guest about a topic that is very important to me because I'm very big on that, and that is public speaking. According to many surveys that I've done in the U.S., and I think across the world, one of the top phobias people have is speaking in public. And I think what makes it really scary, I think it's the word public, because we all speak, right? So whether you're talking in front of your grandma or your family during Thanksgiving, you're still doing some form of speaking in public. Anyways, that's just my um, little TED talk. I'm going to get off the mic soon now. But uh, I brought someone on the show who seems to be amazing at it. And I thought that by having a conversation with him, we together, we're able to at least give people who might have a little bit of problem with public speaking a bit of hope to talk about some of the tips that you can apply that can make you a better speaker. So I have today on the show with me, Brendan Kumarasamy. He is the founder of Master Talk. It's a YouTube channel that he started, I think, two years ago, maybe last year, to help the world master the art of public speaking and communication. He coaches purpose-driven entrepreneurs on how to master their message and share their ideas with the world. So everyone, join me in welcoming Brendan to the podcast. Hi, Brendan. Hey, Mo. How are you? I am good. How's the maple land syrup? maple syrup land doing today <laughs> <laughs> you know we all live in england so life is great you know okay well good good oh canada anyways i like to start from the beginning from the basics so let's start from basic. i can tell you're indian so what part of india are you i want to say from even if you were in brandon most likely but what part of india does your name come from your last you name gotta- you got it. It's close. I'm from Sri Lanka, so it's a small country south of oh, India. Sri but it's pretty Lanka! Much... Look at that! <laughs> <laughs> and this is when Mo realized that she has just messed up by doing that thing that she normally does when she tries to guess people's countries from their last names. Oh, Mo. What a faux pas! But it's, it's I... similar. It's very similar. Close. I know. It's not for the British, like, you know... Messing up that place up because I've just been in one country. Oh, Sri Lanka. Okay. I didn't know that country. I have a couple of friends from there. So what part of Sri Lanka are you from? Are you from Colombo? So, yeah, you got it. So so near Colombo. But like you said, I, I'm born in Canada. So my okay. parents are from Sri Lanka, but I was born in Montreal. Okay. Now, do you speak, apart from English, other, what other languages do you speak? So, so I speak three languages. I speak English, French, and Tamil. Okay, so, and uh, that's very important. I'm going to ask you questions about you know, switching scripts while you're doing public speaking. All right, sure. so you born in Canada, and what was growing up like for you in Canada, and what part of Canada did you grow up in? Yeah, so, so I'm born and raised in Montreal. I grew up in a, in a small uh, region of Montreal called Côte-de-Neige. It's, it's French for uh, 
uh, next to the snow. I guess that's the English translation. <laughs> doesn't doesn't sound that great. But yeah, I, I was I was in Montreal since from zero to three. I was born in in Montreal as well. And then after that, I moved to a suburb with my mom and, and father and family uh, called Laval, which nobody on this call should know, or else it'd be kind of weird. The, the only great thing about Laval is that Laval spelled backwards is also spelled Laval. That's, that's, like LA. <laughs> that's the only, yeah, it's like, <laughs> so yeah, born, born and raised there. And I guess the, the story was when I was five years old, because I, I didn't speak French, but in Montreal, you need to know the language. So I, I, was, I grew up in a French education system. And the challenge from a communication perspective was not only was I afraid of presentations like anyone else, I had to present in a language I didn't even know. So it was oh, definitely shit. challenging times growing up for sure. Hey, but you survived it. Welcome to adulthood, I guess. Uh, I appreciate it. <laughs> so what were you like as a kid? Were you, would you say you always wanted to talk in front of people or were you shy? What was your personality like? Oh god, I definitely did not want to talk to people in presentations. But but I was pretty social in the sense of not especially not the beginning since I didn't, I couldn't speak to anybody since I didn't know French, but yeah. over time I I developed friends who who mostly spoke English and I was able to okay. talk to them. But, but yeah, I was I was a very social kid. I always liked to play around. Run around. I was very curious. I always wanted to understand something that most kids my age wouldn't want to understand. Like for example, yeah. like What's the role of money in society? Why do we use it? How how does it work? Oh, you were that kid, huh? Yeah, I was like the. the <laughs> I wasn't the. Yeah, I was like a penny pitcher, even if I had no pennies to pinch. But <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. I was just a very curious person growing up. Oh, thanks for that. Curious, I can see how that formed into languages, and of course, you know what you do right now with helping people master public the art of public speaking. I always like to. I'm always curious about how people get to their journey wherever they currently are so if you were to go back into your childhood like you know how they say hindsight is 2020 at what point did you ever if you could go back would you think that you would ever you know have your own youtube channel where you'll be creating content for public speaking was there a part in your childhood that kind of helped you you know what they talk about that watershed moment that changed the course of your life and helped you get to where you are right now or it was just you know going with the flow and then here we are it's it's definitely a mix of the two. So if you asked me when I was 12 what I wanted to be when I grew up, I would have told you accountant. I wasn't uh, I was a very conservative, like very like oh let's Fiscal play it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, the last thing on my mind was to be a YouTuber. She said, "What are these kids doing with their videos in their basements? They're, they're crazy." It's the only wasn't me. My my goal is simple: was to get out of poverty. You know, I was 12, I was 14, I didn't have a lot of money. And I didn't like to see my mother struggle, so I just said, let me go to business school and make a shit ton of money, yeah. which in my head was $60,000 a year, right? Nothing like... I just said for inflation. I think that's like maybe a million dollars to, to, into this <laughs> thing. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. I, I definitely love the bath part of the podcast. But anyway, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's what I did. I went to business school, and then I just was focused on getting a great job. And in business school, there's three big jobs that you can get. I'm not going to bore too much people, so I'll, I'll skip over it fast. But the idea is accounting is one of them. Second mm-hmm. one is being an investment banker. So for those who yeah. have seen Wolf of Wall Street, that's kind of like what it is. It's not as mm-hmm. crazy as it's devastating in the movies, though, but sure. And then number three is consulting. So consulting is where you go solve problems for businesses. You get paid a lot of money to do that. So I wanted to be an accountant since I was 12. Never changed my mind. So I majored in accounting. And then after, I started doing these things called case competitions. 
And that's when my passion for public speaking started. I started getting hooked to it. So basically what a case competition is, is think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So other guys my age were, you know, playing football or rugby or soccer or things like the sort. I was doing the same thing with presentations because you clearly <laughs> are not equipped for sports. So you don't say, I don't want to get hurt or anything. So a business would give us a problem and we would have three hours to make slides and present and make solution. So you're like a 21 year old and you're presenting to the senior vice president of Walmart. It's like crazy. So what happened in those three years is not only did I get the job in consulting I wanted, so I got out of poverty, but I accumulated so much knowledge on public speaking. But the issue though, is 99% of people who do that competition thing, they do what most people do. They go become senior executives at IBM or something and that's it. But I saw a gap where I just said, hey, wait a minute. Nobody's sharing any of this communication stuff to the world for free. And I got irritated because a lot of the people on the platform sucked. Like it was garbage. The content was so bad. It made me want to vomit in my mouth. You're truly insane. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so I just started making videos in my basement. And then, uh, you know, things started picking up. And here we are. Oh, wow. Um, I took some business classes when I was in grad school. And I was in a Texas Venture Lab. So I know that thing about kids' competition. It's very hectic. It's high tension, this pressure, and of course, there's that uh, element of competition with other groups and trying to, like, you know, make it first. Well, that's good. Thanks for sharing that. Um, I'm glad that you at least found what you wanted to do. It's that with accounting, but in here you are. So do you still do a little bit of, you know, consulting and public speaking, or is just public speaking speaking for you now? You got it. So I actually still have my day job. So I'm a technology consultant at IBM. And then outside of that, you know, I coach, you know, executives and clients on on public speaking. But I think the idea, especially since you know the case comp world, I think I think a good, which is rare, by the way. Uh, so one thing I can add to that, you can think of me as the warlord of case competitions. So uh, like most people, they think of case competitions, Mo, they probably do like three or five in their life. Yeah. I did 50. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know most people are listening have no clue what that means. But that like, is, I was insane. That's like running like... 30 ultra marathons. Exactly. So, and I'm not a runner, so I think that's like an overestimate. <laughs> so, so just to give you an idea, at, at my school, at Concordia University of Montreal, we had the world's largest case competition program. So 400 people apply every year and 80 people get in. And I was the guy selecting the teams. So you can think of me as like the... I guess Michael Jordan is a poor analogy here, but the poor man's Michael Jordan of, of presentations. So you would see me like on a Saturday night at 10 p.m. Yeah. yelling at one of these teams, just saying, your presentation is terrible. You need yeah. to get better. But that's why I accumulated so much public. Like I, I started mastering when I was 22, but I had the coaching experience of someone who was triple my age because I, I coached like hundreds of people on communication in only three years. Wow. That is, you know, quite impressive, and it sounds very stressful. <laughs> I loved so, every um, second of it. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah, I, guess, I miss case competition so much. I, I guess you found what you, you found your calling. Let's just put it that way, because you know, I can imagine for the people listening to this, like, oh my gosh, that guy sounds crazy, <laughs> <laughs> and they wouldn't be wrong to think that way, because that that's a lot. It comes back to that of the achievements, Brendan. So, I'm curious to know, you know how you know you're good at something. Like, you have a passion for something. It doesn't necessarily always translate to the fact that you are good at it. With public speaking, 
Uh, so let me walk you through a journey. I, I, I didn't mind talking in front of people. People said I could talk, I could do that. But inside of me, I wasn't always good at making the story fit. Like, the, you know, the, the beginning, the body and the ending. And I had this take. I took a communication class when I was in grad school. And one of the assignments was to tape ourselves while we're giving a conversation, a, 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 a presentation, and then watch the videos. It's probably one of the most torturous things I've ever done in my life. Like, if they need me to, like, confess to anything, just, you know, play a video of me talking. <laughs> I will, you know, confess all of the crimes that I've done and the ones I haven't done. And I realized I had this rocking movement, which was really horrible because I didn't think I did that. And I, I did this thing with my hands. And, of course, that, you know, helped me think about ways I can be better at speaking because... One, one, you can be better putting the words together, but then if you had all these distracting mannerisms, like the way you did your hands or the way you looked or the way, the way you just did things, you might take away from the quality of your, of your presentation. So for you, even though you found your calling through, you know, um, competitions and talking in front of people, are there things you did to affect the art of public speaking or you've just been self-taught all the way? Yeah, so I was self-taught all the way, Mo, but what I will say was in the journey when I started making videos, I realized how to coach people a lot faster. So I'm happy to share that with you. What I realized over my journey is anyone can master public speaking. Because remember, just so people understand my story, my whole life up until the ages of 18, so from 5 to 18, I presented in a language I didn't know, guys. Right. So if I could go from that to speaking like this, I think anyone can be a great speaker. But there are definitely steps that we need to understand to get there that no one else has explained. So let me be the first. The first step to mastering communication, though, is understanding where the fear of public speaking comes from. Mm. So you, like you mentioned, you know, you're scared about the video. I was scared too, right? Same thing with the New Zealand, Australia, Japan. You talk to anybody around the world. We're all scared of public speaking, but we don't know why. So let me add some layer to that. Where do we give the vast majority of our presentations? Because the answer to that question is what we're going is basically the answer to the question where we're scared of public speaking. The answer is school, college, university, high school. That's where we give almost a hundred percent of all of our presentations growing up. Why? Because presentations aren't optional. We don't wake up one morning and say, "Hey, Mo, you want to get breakfast and present all day?" No, nobody says that. Literally, nobody. Except for Brendan in university. Except for Brendan. I was, was going to put that part there. Except for Brendan. <laughs> but even before university, like I hated presentations, right? And that's the key. So we're sitting in high school together, college, university, whatever you want. Three things happen in that environment. Number one, you never get to pick the topic that you want to present. And if you do, it's generally something you're not passionate about. Number two, students don't care to listen to you. Not because they don't care about you, Mo. Not because they don't care about me but because they're worried about their own presentation. School is one of these weird environments where you're presenting to people who are also presenting after you. So while you're standing up and you're giving your presentation and nobody's listening to you, you think, oh, is it because I stink? Is it because I'm a bad speaker? Not at all. It's because I'm sitting in the room thinking, oh, crap, I got to go in 10 minutes. And what am I supposed to do with this presentation? So I'm not paying attention to you. Number three Teachers are too stressed to coach you. Teachers are well-educated. Teachers are well-intentioned. But if you've got 50 students in a class and two classes to go through all of them, 
<laughs> How are you supposed to give feedback that is tangible to any of those kids? And sure. that's the point. You never get to pick the topic. You're never passionate about the subject. You're presenting to students who don't care. You're presenting to teachers who are too stressed to coach you. And this behavior gets perpetuated, gets repeated in everything. Math, sciences, languages, music, gym, on and on and on. We're taught to believe that public speaking is a chore. It's a responsibility. If we're at school, it's tied to a grade. If we're at work, it's tied to a result. And if we fail at any part, we get punished for it, whether it's a lower grade or whether it's a missed promotion. And that's the point. The first step to public speaking is understanding that the fear is not our fault, but rather the system in which we grew up learning it. That's quite insightful. And I, I do I, I do agree with most of that. But then I think an argument against some of the points would be we're assuming that every school education system is the same. You know. But there could be some cultural differences in the way people are taught. There could be class sizes that are smaller. There could be courses that are geared really towards in communication. But I think to a to a large extent your points are valid. I, I, I agree with that. Um, I think the next question I had for you is this. So you speak Tamil, you speak French, you speak English. I speak 3.25 languages. The quarter of Did you say French. 2 to 5? No, 3.25. <laughs> okay. 0.25, you'll be amazed to know that it's French. I, I grew up learning French for about seven years. But the cultural component was missing for me. Apparently, I, when I learn, learn languages, I have to have an interest in the culture because that's what makes it fun for me to learn. And so I spent seven years learning French. And then I started learning Korean three years ago. And I speak more Korean than I, than I can speak French. And I haven't studied Korean as long as I have studied French. So that was just the missing part for me. But I noticed that when I talk, when I switch scripts, when I'm speaking in Korean, I adopt a different personality. My Korean friends seem to think I'm more gentle with my words. And I think because my brain is just trying to make sure I don't say the wrong things or mix the words together. It's still a language I'm growing in. But then I also, because Korean to me, as an outsider learning it, I have to be very careful with the level of um, honorifics I use. Because depending on the person I'm speaking to, if they're younger or older, there's certain verb endings I have to put in place to be sure that I'm speaking in a very respectful tone. So I'm more than overcompensate and so I have to choose my words carefully. If I were to be judged the way I speak Korean, I probably wouldn't be seen as a good orator because it's just like, why is she almost babbling like a baby? But in English, it's been a language, you know, I was, I, I was introduced to English at a very early age. I was studying English all my life. I use it almost every day. I'm more confident in it. I'm curious to know for you. I did, given the three languages, you speak Tamil, French, and English, are there levels of, you know, winning confidence you have in one area? I can imagine that for the first 13 years when you're trying to learn French, you probably struggled a lot because, you know, you had to present in a language you weren't comfortable with. But now that you're older, do you find the way you speak boldly in English, do you find it applicable to Tamil and French? That's a beautifully iterated question. And, and, and for the record, because I find this interesting, um, I actually sing a lot of songs in Korean. 
Not say, oh, yeah, universe, don't, don't tell me you're a BTS fan. I'm gonna end this. Uh, oh, I'm a huge, huge, huge BTS fan. Oh, but it's the point. They're so <laughs> annoying. Everywhere you yes. go, army, army. I'm like, you guys should just shut up. We know uh, you love whatever his name is. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not crazy, crazy. But I listen to the music. Like I'm not like that nuts. But anyways, the point. Now I'll send you a lot of songs after this. But the point that I'm mentioning here is this idea of being open to other languages. So one fun fact about me that, not many, that I don't talk about a lot on podcasts, because it never comes up, is I speak three languages, but I can karaoke in eight. So in addition to speaking English, French, and Tamil, I can also karaoke perfectly in Korean, Mandarin, Spanish, Hindi. I always keep remembering. I have to remember all the, <laughs> the languages and Hindi. Right, so so that's the thing. So, so I sorry, can, this, this Korean, this Mandarin, Spanish, Hindi, and what's the fifth one? Uh, fifth one is Mandarin, or is it? Wait, no. let me start again. Korean, Spanish, yeah, Korean. Korean. Oh, Japanese, Japanese. Is the Japanese. Oh, wow, they back yeah. Yeah, how do you how can you read those scripts? Because you know, Korean, Japanese, and Chinese. You read the romanizations, or you can read the characters. No, no, no. That's why I like being transparent here. So I don't actually understand any of the words. What I'm, what I, what I mean by karaoke is I can sing the songs, so I can pronounce the words. So let's say I'm listening to One OK Rock, which is a Japanese rock band. Mm-hmm. I can like listen, like I can listen to the song and then sing it exactly the way they pronounce it, but I have no clue what they're saying, and I can't read yeah. Japanese either. Why am I saying that? I'm saying that because the more open-minded you are to more languages and other ways of learning, the more it improves not only your pronunciation, but also the way that you speak a language in the ones you actually know. So going back mm-hmm. to your question about English, French, and Tamil, how mm-hmm. my keynote and speaking career started was I sucked in French. I couldn't keynote in French. It was really bad. Like, I wasn't really good at it. So I keynoted in English exclusively. But over time, I learned techniques from you know my education and what I was doing on how I could start keynoting in French. And that's how I was able to shift from one to the other. My confidence slowly increased in French as well. So now I can keynote, I can't keynote in Tamil, but I can keynote in, uh, that keynoting for those who don't know, means presenting to hundreds of people at the okay, same time yeah. in a language. Like a keynote speaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, so I can keynote in English and French now. So, so how do we gain confidence in presenting in other languages? Because I'm sure a lot of people are listening right now have English as a second language and they want to speak better English. They want to yeah. do better at pronunciation. So my advice is always the following. Increase your confidence as a speaker in your first language at the beginning. Why? Because you understand the cultural context of that language and that's where you get most of your confidence because you spend 90% of your time speaking in that. So uh, the classic example I give, which is most people, is your first language is either Hindi or Mandarin and your second language is English. So in that specific situation, and this applies for any language, if it's Telugu, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> you, get, you master your communication skills in the first language because that's where you're comfortable in. And then what you do is you take your best speech in your first language, you translate it into the language you want to speak it in. So let's say English in this case. But then the third part of that, that's in one of my videos, is you take that script and then you present it in front of native speakers. Mm-hmm. So let's say for me, when I started keynoting in French, I, I, I obviously what I did is I keynoted in English first. Like that presentation, I mastered it in English because that's my first language. And then when I translated it in French, I got a bunch of French native speakers to correct my vocabulary. Then I would memorize those different words. And then I would then I would 
keen up perfectly. So what's the punchline here? The punchline is the only difference between your first and second language is not intelligence. It is only vocabulary and cultural context, like you said perfectly. Wow, that's amazing. I'm just thinking right now, like, would I ever get to keynote in Korean? I don't know. <laughs> tough. It's tough. I do not know, but I'm enjoying the language and let's see. But I never, never say never. All right, good. Now let's move on to a little bit of technical stuff and I might circle back to the soft stuff on public speaking. So you have a YouTube channel. I think you started it in 2018 or 2019. I started in January 2019. Yeah, so it's almost okay, two yeah. years now. And you have a lot of content. And I stumbled upon, I mean, I didn't stumble upon it. I went through it when you sent me your link. And you have, number one, I love your templates. I love how you you have the topics like in bold characters. And then there's a picture of you there. And it's, it's similar almost along all of your videos, except when you just you know started way back then. Now, you do it for free, right? I mean, that's how YouTube works. <laughs> and I know, no, 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 you can have premium content on YouTube. Would you say it's a great strategy for your business? Like, how do you make, I know for you it's not about the money, because one of the things you said in the beginning was a lot of things that were out there were junk, and the ones that were good were, you know, behind the paywall, and you didn't want that. But how has it, how has it been working for you? I guess that should be the question. Yeah, absolutely. So, so everyone's going to have a different approach, right? So to take my advice with a grain of salt. But as far as I was concerned, I never wanted to make Master Talk a business. That was never the intention. My goal when I was 19 has remained the same. It only changed recently, which was to be a senior executive at a company. I wanted to make half a million dollars a year like all my other buddies and from business school because case competitions is a feeder school. So for people know, only the top 1% of students do as many case competitions as I do, which means a lot of companies want to hire us and give us a lot of money. Where this is how the game works. So I was never going to be like a YouTuber or things like that. But the difference between me and everyone else in the program is my happiness is tied to doing important things. Like if I'm just making money, because before, this is the thing with people don't get, and it's okay, you'll understand it eventually. Not you, but the people listening. You only care about money until you have it. When you have it, and, and by money, I don't. I'm not telling people I'm a millionaire, right? That's not it. I'm saying you like just said 60. that, Brendan. We get it. Right. Yeah. Anyways, okay, fair enough. Whatever. But as a point of driving, okay, Mo, <laughs> thanks for attacking the guest. <laughs> but the point, the point that I'm you driving. Know how, with, how good of a of a host I am, right? <laughs> yeah, you're the best. Yeah, of course, you're you're the Thank bane you, of Randy. my existence. <laughs> you're my Korean sister. Anyways, the point that I'm driving is the following. <laughs> I noticed that there was a big gaping hole in this thing and work was great. Work was fulfilling. I love the people I work with, but it wasn't enough for me. I needed to do something outside of work and not everyone is like that. I just happened to be like that. So I started making videos in my basement. I thought it was a stupid idea for the first three months. I thought it was like, I was stupid. Like I was in my base. My mother was yelling at me saying, like, you work at IBM. What the hell are you doing making videos in your basement? They thought it was crazy, honestly. But four months into it, three months into it, a lot of the people I was coaching from university kept coming up to me and saying, hey, uh, these YouTube videos are actually not bad. Like, these tips are pretty good, even if I was in my basement. So they kept telling me to keep making them. And then over time, I saw the bigger vision of Master Talk, which is to be Dale Carnegie, in the sense that Dale was born in the wrong time period of history. Sure, he has a great book, but we don't know what he sounds like. We don't know what he, what he, like, we don't know what he, how he speaks, 
So I saw myself as the modern day Dale Carnegie in the sense that after I die, people will have resources and information to learn from me forever because they'll know how I speak. And in that way, Master Talk started from this thing in a basement to, oh, holy geez, I got like a big thing to do. And then it magically turned into a business, if I'm being honest. People just came up to me and like, like I coach CEOs now, executives and people like that as a 23 year old, as a 24 year old now. But when I started, I was 23. Why? Because they just saw my videos and they just realized this guy knows more than like everyone else in on the platform. So let's just pay him a lot of money. So, so that's the thing for me. So I think the advice as far as I'm concerned is you start with the vision first. Entrepreneurship's really hard. If you're not actually trying to help somebody, I think most people should have a job. In the same way, I still have my job because I love it. I don't want to leave it. It's very good, well-paying, and it pays for master talks. So I don't have to push sales onto people. That's my advice on people. Figure out something that you're really good at. And then from that skill, see if you can monetize it. If you can't, leave it as a habit. Leave it as a hobby. And if you can monetize it, turn it into a profitable business. I mean, I agree with that. Like you have a full time job, and I do enjoy podcasting. I always see it as the scenario of the mistress and the wife. You want them to meet sometimes, but you never want them to be always together. And when work gets really tough for me, which can be sometimes, my podcast is like a good outlet to, I'd say, like my weekly therapy session, just you know, talking to people and having great conversations like this. And I'm not very big on blowing up and becoming ultra famous overnight. I want to build steadily towards that. If it ends up being a big thing, fine. If it doesn't, I've had fun so much. And I think for my personality, I don't want everything to be about money. Because there's, if, if I wanted to make this all about, my podcast all about money, the things I would need to do, which would take away from my quality of life, and then it becomes tedious. And I'm not a happy person. I'm happy the way it's steadily growing. I'm not making tons of money from the podcast. But I enjoy it because it, it helps me. My full-time job helps me with some a little bit of disposable income to be able to splurge on my podcast, which, you know, is almost like a pet project. It might grow out of hand and become something bigger. I will let that, you know, grow organically, but I'm not going to force it. And I've always believed that. So it's kind of nice hearing you say that because, you know, that's one of my personal philosophies as well. Find out what works for you, but please get a paying job. Don't make your hobby, you know, like, that one thing you have to depend on if you're not very good at it because you're going to get hungry, you're going to get depressed, and it's not good. <laughs> That's really good advice, though. You're going to get hungry. Uh, yeah, you're going to get really hungry, you're going to get depressed, and then it's not fun anymore. Especially for creatives, you know, get, get yourself something steady if you can manage to do that. that podcast is going mainstream and that there are many people all over the world listening to podcasts daily for example in the u.s alone one in every three persons listen to at least one podcast every month well that's a lot of people do you also know that podcast listeners tend to be more loyal affluent and educated speaking of these retro qualities did you also know that on a monthly basis Thousands of people all over the world listen to the Mossable podcast? Hmm. Well, do you have a business, service, event, or product you would love loyal, affluent, and educated listeners to hear about? Then look no further. To promote your services on the podcast, send an email to talk to more at mossable.com today. Or you can visit our website at www.mossable.com. That is 
www.mosipyl.com All right. Now, you are in your 20s, which, you know, and all the stuff you've achieved, that's, that's quite knowledgeable. What has been your drive so far? Like, what gets you up in the morning just saying, okay, I'm going to just go do this today. I'm going to go back to my basement and make another video. What's driving? I mean, you're in 20s, and I'm not trying to call out your age, but in your 20s, people don't seem to figure a lot of stuff out. You seem to have it figured out, which is a lot for a 20-something-year-old. So what would you say has been your drive? And along that line, do you have mentors who encourage you? Are there people in, in, the, in your business right now or in your field whose journey you want to mimic? And so you look, you look up to them as people you want to emulate, and that kind of drives you. I'm just curious to know what your process has been. Of course, the million-dollar question. Why is a 24-year-old <laughs> so, I guess, quote-unquote, woke, and he does all these things? And, and the answer to the question is very simple. I'll give you the one habit that I did that changed my life that nobody else talks about. Okay, a lot of people preach yoga, exercise, eating yogurt, and I think that's all BS. Okay, let's put that on the side. It's not going to help you find your life's purpose. The one habit you need to implement in your life is ask yourself a hard question every day, and I'll get you started. What are you pretending not to know? If you had all the money in the world, how would you spend your time? Right? If there's only three lessons and only three lessons people will have to remember you by, what do you want those lessons to be? So what I did when I was 17, 18, though, is I asked myself a very difficult question about life every single day. And over time, I became insane. And what happened is in that way, I started developing my own perspective about life. And I'll give you the best example from my life. I started Master Talk, a YouTube channel on public speaking and communication tips. Not a vlog, not a comedy channel, not a prank channel, but communication tips. And then after that, I went to coach CEOs of companies at 23, have a very successful speaking practice. But at the same time, I'm having this conversation with you on a mattress in my mother's basement. I don't plan on moving out of my mother's house for seven years. And I also don't own a car. So how do any of those decisions make any sense to anybody? And that is the point. The only difference between me and you if I've, is I've reflected on hard questions. And I'm sure you're listening. You're like, okay, how do I do this? I'll give you the one exercise that will change your life that you won't do. But for the 1% who do this could be useful. It's so write your own funeral speech. I've done that before. I did that when I was young. Oh, you have? Okay, cool. Well, most people don't, right? And I think that gives you a lot of clarity. I just did it really early in life. So I was able to figure out how to optimize my time because I know I'm not going to live for a long time. And that's weird to say as a 24-year-old because we we tend to believe that our whole life's in front of us. That's not true. If I die at the same age that Chadwick Boseman did, who's the the guy who was in Black Panther, or Kobe Bryant, yeah, most most of my life is already over. So I got to execute. Right. And, and another part of that is where my happiness is derived. I care about doing great things. And if, if you want if you want to do great things as well, I highly recommend you guys watch the documentary called Free Solo. This is a guy named Alex Honold. He climbed one of the biggest walls in the world without a rope, which means that if he misses one move, he dies. The documentary was scary, but it really begged this idea of where he gets his happiness from. He cares about doing great things. Not everyone is like that. But for the people who are, I recommend doing this exercise like I am. So what are you pretending not to know? I like that. That's, that's a very strong cue to action. And speaking of that, thanks for that reminder. I, need to, I, I think I need to work on upgrading my funeral speech. I did that when I was probably 10 or 11. 
a lot of things are not applicable anymore because I had I was going to have them donate my stuff to Oxfam, but I don't think they're still in the business. I'm have to, and I was living in Nigeria then. Maybe make it goodwill instead of Oxfam. So yeah, thanks for that reminder. I need to go back to my diary and <laughs> update update my um, funeral. You'll get a special bonus. I'll send you all the questions I have in my notebook that I've created. <laughs> well, thank you. So. I guess we're kind of winding down now, and I'm just going to shoot some very low-level questions at you. And not not low-level, I'm just curious to know a little bit more about you. You seem like a serious person, but I, I, can, always, I can also sense a fun side to you, because you, know, you have some very good jokes. Um, what do you do for fun, and how do you, what do you do to relax, apart from being you know, a nerd? Yeah, so, so I'm a very peculiar kind of character, Mo, in the sense that I spend most of my days working. But in my free time, I do I do listen to a bunch of books, podcasts, and I also karaoke in different languages and dance alone <laughs> in my basement. I think I think one thing I've been missing since uh, since COVID started is I I love dance parties. Like just for people, so people get me a bit I more know. here. Yeah. Like I don't drink at all. Like I've never been drunk once in my life. But I love clubbing. Like I love going to clubs and just dancing for seven hours. So I miss that a lot, uh, which sucks. It's great exercise. Because remember, I don't drink, so I just dance there for seven hours. Can't do that anymore. So I just do that in my basement now. So that's probably what I do for fun. You, you sound like you're pretty serious about this karaoke thing. Like, do you have a machine? Is that an app that goes with it? No, you I just had Asian friends. Too. Not to be racist or anything. It's just... Uh, this is Are what you Asian, Asian so you can say fun. that? <laughs> that's true. Yeah, Most that's people true. don't even like... think... Exactly. When they think of Asians, they probably think of Chinese and Koreans. <laughs> I always forget I'm South Asian, but yeah, exactly. So yeah, I used to play this Asian. video game. <laughs> so anyways, uh, but, oh, I guess I can give you more context here since you're interested in the fun stuff. So so I watched this this show called Death Note when I was 12, and I know you're familiar with it. But for those who aren't, you should check it out, change my life. But the idea was, that's how I got acquainted with Japanese culture, and then it slowly transitioned to other cultures. And I, I played this game called League of Legends when I was in college. And a lot of Asian people play that game. And I was really competitive in that game. I, I was like a pro at the game. Like I would like play tournaments and stuff. Wow. So after the tournaments were over, they would all, instead of like going to a bar, they would all go to karaoke and, and dance and sing songs in different languages. And I was like, this is weird, but okay. And, I guess and, and, and there's a lot of drinking that goes on in karaoke. You know? Oh, it's not so bad. We're pretty relaxed. Liquid courage. It's not, <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not too crazy. But yeah, you're right. Most of the time that is the case. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, another question would be this. So I, I listened to a, a couple of videos, and one of the things that it reminded me of was Toastmasters. I um, I have been going to Toastmasters for almost a decade now, and I got my DTM, wow. which is my Distinguished Toastmasters, last year. Congrats. And I sense, thank you, I sense some of the, like, I guess public speaking, there are always going to be similar elements. You know, crutch words, having to organize your speech, having to like, deliver your speech in a confident way. Have you been a part of Toastmasters at all? Or, you know, you just, or you, you have been? Right. So, so I always like, whenever, whenever, whenever I get the Toastmaster pitch, I always like to point out that I'm a huge fan of Toastmasters. But I don't see myself as a competitor to Toastmasters. I see most of myself as a compliment. For those of you who want to master communication, I think the best way of approaching it is going to a club, but using my videos to practice. Here's the, here's the, um, the idea with Toastmasters. So I joined, I'm a guest speaker for a lot of the chapters. I've probably spoken to like 50 clubs so far in my life. 
you know, to give like a workshop for them for free yeah. to kind of promote the channel and whatnot. And what I love about Toastmasters is this idea of community. You're held accountable every week to do a presentation. But the challenge with Toastmasters is that the feedback is never world-class because the idea is when you become really good at communication, like let's say at my level or like top 5% or up, you're never incentivized anymore to go to the meetings because you monetize the skill. Because for those who don't know, public speaking is a very high paying skill. It not necessarily speeches, but if you're an executive of a company, exactly. that's how you get yeah. promoted to be like a okay. CEO. Mm-hmm. So most people who are great communicators are actually not speech coaches like me. They're like executives or presidents, you know, blah, blah, blah or their TV hosts, whatever it is. Because of that, the best people in a Toastmaster club never stay in the club, which means that the feedback you always get is never world-class, never at a top 1% level, because people, that's gated. You have to pay like $500 to $1,000 an hour for that type of advice. That's why I created the videos. So so that you have access to that advice that most people charge $1,000 an hour for for free so you can take those videos and teach your evaluators how to do better at the feedback and then everyone gets better i see i mean those are good points you made i am i mean i love toastmasters and you you touched upon a very critical aspect of it is when you get to a point when you're really good and people know you're good in a club you don't tend to get a lot of good feedback anymore because almost like you you reach that point of saturation where unless there's like a new person coming in or there's like an a guest from another club who is seasoned, people just look at you, oh, she's good at that, she's good at that. That's one. And two, I have competed at the area level, which I won, but then I didn't go beyond that. And to me, it became like trying to act your speech. It wasn't natural anymore because they, they just wanted it to, you had to like hit a, a lot of points, which in a natural conversation necessarily wouldn't happen. And I'm not a big fan of, you know, acting my words and all that. So, I'm not very big on Toastmasters competitions, but I do agree with you in the sense that anyone that wants to at least get started somewhere, Toastmasters is a very good. I highly recommend it. I have every time I travel before COVID, if I had the chance, I would always stop at clubs all over the world. And it's that organization that is very wholesome and people are always nice to guests. They love when people from out of town or out of the country that come to visit. And now with COVID, a lot of clubs are meeting virtually, so you have no excuse, really. If you want to learn how to give a speech, even it doesn't have to be public speaking. It could be, you know, in your relationships, having to be a bit more assertive, or how to communicate your points to your spouse or to your dad or your, or your mom. I highly recommend Toastmasters. And I think um, those are all my questions for you, Brennan. I could keep on talking to you about different topics. But before you go, you're going to sing a Korean song. But before oh, then, <laughs> before then, I wanted to give it an opportunity because I really did enjoy our conversation today. I'd like to give you an opportunity to ask me one question you might be curious to know about me or about the show. And if you don't have any, that's fine. We can move on to the Korean karaoke section. We're, we're definitely not going to move on to karaoke session. But, uh, <laughs> I guess I guess the question for you is what's what's the ultimate vision for the podcast? What do you want to create out of this? Wow, look at you, Brendan. That's a very good question. My biggest thing is community. I want to build a community of people who have one thing in common, people that want to grow. And and that's why in building my podcast, it's been a very systematic and thoughtful process. I could go on Instagram and buy um, followers and get verified like 
three months down down the line. But that's not it for me. I recently just created because I used to run everything on my personal Instagram page, for example. And I use Instagram a lot because that's just one of the biggest tools I use for my podcast promotion. And I decided to create one specifically for the podcast. And right now it has like 40-something followers. And I think of it like if I had those 40 people in my room by my dining table talking, that is amazing. And I'm, I'm very happy that I have 40 people right now on my Instagram. Because for me, it's not about the quantity of the people and the quality. And as time goes on, I like to be, build a consciousness that regardless of where you're from, whether you're from East, South, wherever part of the world, we can all get together and have conversations because I strongly believe that there's so much more we have in common than, you know, not in common. And we often miss that message in there. We see people and we just go with the generalization of whatever it is we've known about them. Oh, you're Nigerian, you're that. You're from Bengal, you're, you know, like that. Like, people are people, countries are countries. Stereotypes are not always, always applicable. So I want to build a community of people who can feel confident to just approach anybody and from that angle of cultural curiosity to ask questions and get to know stuff i have been enriched by a lot of my friends that are non-nigerians as a child i was very curious i used to read a lot i still read a lot but maybe not as much as i used to as a kid i read encyclopedias and one of my favorite things was to learn about cultures so by the time i moved to the u.s having to engage people whose countries and ways of life i had always known and I'll talk to them about things I knew about their country, which, you know, people will be surprised that I knew about that. And I'm like, yeah, because I, I really, you know, I know a little bit about that. So, yes, that's what I want to grow. Because I feel like by the time we have these conversations going, a lot of what's happening in the world right now, you know, xenophobia, racism, and just all of that nasty stuff, It's I don't think it's ever going to go away 100%. But there could be like a marginal reduction in it. But I feel like people are so afraid to get into conversations because they feel like they're going to get offend- offensive. And I'm like, no, we still have to create a room where people can still air out those shitty, excuse my French, shitty ideas. Actually, it's not French. <laughs> excuse my English. It's a French-speaking <laughs> <laughs> French person on the line, so I have to be mindful. So we have to get those shitty ideas out there so we can at least correct it or maybe give them opportunities to self-adjust and correct. So that's my hope. Um, I like to travel and meet people. I used to say that Anthony Bourdain had my dream job. May he so rest in peace. Because I love what he did. I love how he, he could talk to people with food. And I do a variant of that before COVID hit. I will have students from, you know, international students. There's a school here close to me. I will sit down and we'll talk about stuff. I like to get conversations going. Because at the end of the day, I know that we all want to feel connected. We all want to feel like we belong somewhere. And so that's my dream for the podcast as a place to get stories out there. I mean, here you are, you know, Canadian public speaker and podcast made that happen. I don't think we're having this conversation anywhere, even for this podcast. And so that's something that I'm really, really excited about. The opportunity to get on, on the phone call or Zoom call with someone from across the pond and just talk about some of the things we're passionate about. So yes, I could go on and on about this. That's just my, my dream about podcasts. I love the energy and the passion. Thanks for sharing, Mom. You're welcome. And that was a very good question. So now, the Korean part of it. I wasn't going to forget, Brandon. <laughs> what song are you going to be singing for us? And if the song I know, I don't mind playing your backup singer. <clears throat> we, we are not We are not singing. Let me swim some song. water. <laughs> so what song are we singing, Brandon? You're, you're crazy, Mom. Get out of here. <laughs> anyway, 
for, for those who want to check out my YouTube channel, it's Master Talking One Word. You want to send me a message? Master Your Talking Instagram. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I'll put it on the spot. So yeah, check out his. You want to call your YouTube channel, and if people had questions, how they can reach out to you. Yeah, they they could reach out to me on Instagram. Oh, uh, I I take insults, complaints, questions. What's comments. your Instagram handle? It's Master Your Talk. Master Your Talk. Is that what the Y O U R or U R? Uh, it's like Master Your Talk. So okay. like Y O U R. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't yeah. do your out so, thing, you know. <laughs> sorry, I got confused and he started to. I was like, uh, what's happening? Yeah, we need to spell it out because you know people be crazy. All right, well, this was it, Brendan. This was fun. I feel like there's an energy I, I like that came from me that I like and we connected on that level. And thank you so much. I hope this was good for you. Do you have any was, final words before we wrap it up? Yeah, for sure. I'm happy to share my, my favorite quote that I always like to end with. And the quote is, be insane or be the same. You know, if you made it this far in the show, probably want to do something important with your life or maybe you just like create music but either or you want to do something different you want to you don't want to be like anyone else so my only advice is to be insane what does that mean that means making decisions that only make sense to you i'm a guy in a match on a mattress in my mother's basement who has probably what was going to have one of the largest public speaking youtube channels in the world that makes no sense Right. And that's the point. When you start to make decisions, and if they only make sense to the only person that matters, which is you, you're probably on the right track. Well, you've heard it from Brendan, the public speaking expert from Canada. We've talked a lot today about professional and personal development. I took a lot of stuff from this conversation. One of the big top, top things was karaoke language. I didn't know that was such a thing, but I definitely do agree with that. I probably should expand my vocabulary using karaoke languages so that way it can boost about the number of languages I can carry again. And another point he made, which I want to emphasize on, was understanding where the fear of public speaking comes from. And I think that's, you know, very, very key because once you can get an idea of why you're so scared of public speaking, I think it's half of the problem solved. And then he ended by saying, be insane or be the same. And I'll tie that to what he said earlier about what are you pretending not to know? So if you like this content, don't forget to check out his Instagram, which is Master Your Talk, or his YouTube page, which is Master Talk, and he has lots of presentations there. As always, this has been the Mossible Podcast. Thank you for being a part of this conversation today. If you've got more questions, you can email me or find me on Instagram at the Mossible Podcast. Stay safe, everyone, and I remain your host, Mossible. Thank you so much, Brandon. I hope you really had a good experience enough to come back. I look forward to having more conversations with you. Of course, it was such a pleasure. All right, stay safe and thank you. You too. All the best. All right, bye. Yeah. Hey, listeners, this has been another episode of the Marcible Podcast. What do you think about today's episode? Do you have a question or feedback you'd love to provide? A suggestion for a future guest? We always love to get your feedback, so please do drop us a line via Instagram at Marcible or email us at talk to more at mossible.com 
your suggestion might just end up being featured on a future episode of the podcast. Cannot wait to hear back from you. Do visit our official website at www.mostsibyl.com. That is www.mosibyl.com where you can find our entire back catalog of episodes and amazing guests. Also, if you haven't already, please hop on over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe. Leave us a rating or review as this helps us tremendously in growing this podcast and reaching more amazing listeners like you. We always appreciate your support. Thank you for always listening.